0: So last week, former U.S. President Barack Obama was speaking at a college graduation, a ceremony, and it was live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. And he took this opportunity to criticize American officials in their handling of this pandemic. Now he didn't name any names, but he said this more than anything. This pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Now, thankfully, we're not here to talk about American politics. So I don't really care whether you think Obama was right and wrong in what what he said. So please don't worry about that. But I mention what he said because I think that many people are tempted to think something similar about God. In the middle of this pandemic, in the face of so much suffering and death, when our livelihoods are threatened and our lifestyles are turned upside down, it's tempting to conclude that the one who's supposed to be in charge doesn't know what he's doing. The world is in such a mess right now that it might appear that God isn't even pretending to be in charge. But the next section of John's Gospel, that teaches us something completely different. The private upper room ministry of Jesus to his disciples was now over. Over the next few hours, Jesus would be arrested, falsely condemned, cruelly tortured, brutally nailed to a cross, and killed in agony and shame. And to many, this looked like a disastrous defeat. He had ridden into Jerusalem, claiming to be the king. But now it looked like he hadn't known what he was doing. Surely nobody could even pretend that he was in charge. But despite how bad things appeared, Jesus was actually in full control. In the middle of the mess, he was in charge and he was fulfilling his father's will and completing His mission. And so this morning we're going to read from John chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 11.
1: When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lamps, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went and asked, who is it? Jesus said, I am he, Jesus. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. And Jesus said, "I am he." Again he asked, "Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, "I told you that I am he. If you are, then let these men go, this cattle because he had spoken would be filled. I have not lost one of those you gave me." Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, threw it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me?
0: So this olive grove, it was called, of course, Gethsemane. And that name means oil press, the place where the olives were squeezed in order to release their oil. And the other Gospels tell us that Jesus went there to pray, crushed under the incredible pressure of the suffering that was to come. But his prayer time was interrupted by a group of people who would play a crucial role in that suffering. In this crowd were officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. These religious leaders, they should have led people to believe in Jesus. Because they were supposed to be the ones who were closest to God. But throughout Jesus' ministry, they had opposed him. They'd attempted to arrest him, they'd conspired to kill him, and now it seemed that they were getting their way. This is the ugliness of religious hypocrisy. They claimed to honour God, but actually they were following the devil. This is what Jesus said about them in John chapter 8, you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desire. And religious hypocrisy still causes so much suffering in our world today. It drives so much violence and evil, and its lies drag people away from the one who is the truth. In this crowd, there were also another group. It was a detachment of soldiers. Now, they were some from the temple guard and maybe even some from the Roman army. It was a large, well-armed group who were ready to fight. Matthew described them as a large crowd armed with swords and clubs. This was the ruthless force that took Jesus to the Sanhedrin and then further on to Pilate and then where he was brutally flogged and then crucified by another group of soldiers. And sadly we also see that same cruel violence throughout the world today. Even in the middle of this pandemic People are suffering from this, sometimes even in their own homes. Safe Ireland, the the National Domestic Abuse Hub, has warned of untold trauma for women and children during this pandemic, during this lockdown. And the UK's largest domestic abuse charity called Refuge, they reported an increase, a 700% increase in calls to its helpline.
1: People are suffering right now.
0: So Jesus, he suffered at the hands of religious hypocrisy and ruthless force. But of course at the front of this crowd was Judas who betrayed him. Judas was supposed to be a disciple, a follower, a friend of Jesus. He'd lived with Jesus for maybe about three years sharing his food, ministering in his name, pretending to believe. But now he was turning Jesus over to his enemies. He betrayed the Son of God and for nothing more than 30 silver coins. The price that was paid for a slave's accidental death. That's how little Judas valued Jesus. But how painful that must have been for Jesus. Jesus' ancestor, King David, he knew what that felt like. His son, Absalom, betrayed him and stole his throne. And with a heavy heart, David had to flee from Jerusalem, crossing that very same Kidron Valley that Jesus crossed here in in verse 1. It was called the Valley of Darkness. And in Psalm 41, verse 9, David expressed the pain associated with that betrayal. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me and i think many of us know how just pain how painful that can be we've also suffered at the hands of somebody that we used to call a friend we've been let down we've been rejected
1: we've been betrayed so this
0: was in many ways a dark time for jesus the start of the suffering from religious hypocrisy, from ruthless force, and from personal betrayal. Now what this means for us today is that if we are going through difficult times in our lives, if we have a suffering, if we have been attacked, we have been betrayed, then Jesus understands. Because he's been there himself. Jesus knows how it feels. So he can sympathise with us in it. And he can support us through it. But this olive grove wasn't just a place of suffering for Jesus. It was also a place where his strength was displayed. When this crowd came to the garden, Jesus went out and asked them who they they wanted. When they said Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus replied here, I am he. At those words, the crowds drew back and fell to the ground. Now John, in that reading, he didn't explain why that happened. However, I think it's obvious for those of us who've been reading through John's Gospel together. Because throughout it, Jesus has used these words, literally, I am, in a very specific way. I'm sure you remember that there were seven I am sayings throughout the Gospels. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Then Jesus also used seven I am statements, where he deliberately used this same phrase. And this is the last one here, the the seventh of the I am statements, eh, here in verse five. In each of these, Jesus was using the covenant name of God. At the burning bush, when Moses asked God his name, God replied, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. This is the name that we know as Yahweh. It declares that God is the I am. He is the self-existent one. He doesn't depend on anyone else. He is eternal, never changing. So here, in this garden, in this olive grove, Jesus was again declaring that he is the I am.
1: He is God.
0: And in the face of this revelation, these men, this crowd, could not stand. They came with the authority of the religious leaders. They came as an armed gang with with swords and clubs. They came led by a betrayer who thought he'd outsmarted his master. But none of them were strong enough to stand against Jesus. Jesus could defeat them all with a word. Because he is the Lord Almighty. He is the God of angel armies. No power can defeat him. And we've seen that reality throughout John's Gospel. Jesus has the power over nature and disaster. In the middle of a storm, he can walk on the waves and declare It is I. Don't be afraid. He also has the power over pain and suffering. To a man who had been disabled for 38 years, he could say, get up, pick up your mat and walk. He has the power over death. At his friend's grave, he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man lived again. has the power over Satan he could say the prince of this world is coming he has no hold on me and he has the power to save whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, he is crossed over from death to life And so this morning, folks, whatever challenges we face, whatever struggles we have, whatever battles we are in, whatever enemy is against us, we don't need to be afraid. Jesus has the authority and the power to rescue us. He is strong enough to protect us. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea.
1: life can bring us storms those moments where we wander wonder doubt the journey doesn't stop but the progress does it can be lonely painful sometimes we try to stare it down as if we could somehow will it to go away Or we think we can go toe-to-toe and come out the other side, unscathed. We often forget just how small we are. The truth is, storms are inevitable. But when they appear, we have a protector. A savior who knows a thing or two about calming
0: storms. A God who is a stronghold in times of trouble. In our weakness, He is strong. In our fear, He is courage. In our desperation, He is peace. Yes, storms are inevitable. But our God is invincible. So in this olive grove, in the face of suffering, Jesus revealed his unrivaled strength. He could defeat all of the forces of evil. But he didn't do it in the way that we might have expected. When these soldiers and officials fell to the ground, Jesus didn't leave them there and just walk away. Instead, he asked them, who is it that you, who you want? And when they replied, he answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. But why? Why didn't Jesus just brush them aside and walk on? Why did he hand himself over to them? Why did he allow them to arrest him? Why didn't he use his power and his strength to protect
1: himself? Well, this was an
0: act of sacrifice for the sake of his disciples. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested so that they wouldn't arrest his friends. He sacrificed himself in order to save them. John said, this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. But this wasn't just to save the disciples from being arrested. Jesus willingly sacrificed himself here in going to the cross to save his disciples from sin and from death and from hell. He is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He loved them with an unconditional, unlimited, and unending love. And so he willingly laid down his life to save them. And so his protection of his disciples here is an illustration of his substitutionary atonement. Jesus willingly went to the cross as our substitute, to die in our place, to cover over our guilt so that we could be set free. He is the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He willingly sacrificed himself so that we could be saved. Now, of course, Peter didn't understand this at this moment. That's why in a burst of loyalty and courage, he drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Of course, I don't think he was aiming for his ear. But he wanted to defend his Lord from them. He wanted to rescue him from their evil plans. He thought that that was the right thing to do. he was wrong. Jesus rebuked Peter here. Verse 11, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus didn't run away that night. He didn't want his disciples to fight back. He didn't call down legions of angels to rescue him. He willingly sacrificed himself. Because he was submitting to his Father's will. This was his commitment right throughout his life. This is what he said in John 6 and 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And, his, and this was his commitment, even when it caused... To suffer. The cup that he spoke about here in the garden is an Old Testament image of God's wrath. For example, Jeremiah was told by God to take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. This is his righteous and holy anger against. Sin. It is what all who rebel against him deserve. But why should Jesus, the one who perfectly submitted to his father's will, why should he have to drink from that cup of wrath? Well, it was because on the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. On that cross, all of our sin was placed on him. And God's holy hatred and righteous anger against that sin was poured out on Jesus. So he suffered the payment that should have been ours. He took our death sentence. Or as Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds,
1: we are healed.
0: Now, of course, this was intensely costly for Jesus. And he knew it was going to be. That's why minutes earlier, he prayed three times in the garden. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Everything from within him recoiled from the thought of taking upon himself all of the filth of the world, experiencing an eternity of hell for billions of people, being separated from his father's love. And yet Jesus willingly submitted to
1: it here, because it was his father's will.
0: And Jesus calls us to have that same attitude in our lives. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. He said this, Therefore, I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In the light of Jesus' loving sacrifice of himself and his willing submission to his Father's will, he calls all of us to give our lives to God, eagerly and wholeheartedly submitting to his will for our lives. And we're called to do this even when it's hard. Even when it's challenging. Even when it involves suffering and struggle. Even when we cannot understand what is happening. Each day we're called to lay down our lives in obedience to the one who laid down his life for us. And we should do this eagerly. Because although we might not understand it at the time, although we might not understand everything that's happening, uh, although it might just look impossibly difficult, we can trust that God's will is always good and pleasing and perfect. So Jesus suffered, but not in defeat. Rather, he used his strength, to willingly lay down his life for us as a sacrifice for us and in submission to his Father. And so throughout this passage, we actually see the sovereignty of Jesus. When Judas and this crowd of officials and soldiers appeared at the entrance to this olive grove, John recorded Jesus knowing all that was going to happen, went out. Jesus was in control here. He knew that he would be arrested in this garden. He knew that he would be falsely condemned. He knew that he would be crucified the next day. He knew all of this. None of this was a surprise to him. None of it was a shock. He was not overpowered by this group of soldiers. Rather, he went out and handed himself over to them. He was not shocked by Judas's deception. In fact, he deliberately went to this olive grove knowing that Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, it says in verse 2. Because Jesus, Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And he was not defeated by these religious leaders. He repeatedly had told his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So all of these things didn't happen to Jesus. This is exactly what he had planned all along. As the apostles said in Acts chapter 4, verse 28, they did, these men, these these religious leaders, these soldiers, Pilate and Herod, they all did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. These men, they acted in sinful self-interest. They did exactly what they wanted to do. But through this, they did what God had planned all along. Jesus was not a victim here, but rather he is the one who is in charge. Even in this dark night, when it seemed like evil was triumphing, Jesus was in control. He was still sovereign over it all he was still accomplishing his purpose and well and the amazing encouragement that we can have today is that he still is even in the, in the middle of this pandemic when we're suffering in this lockdown and social distancing and economic uncertainties, when people are getting sick, losing their loved ones, losing their lives, Jesus is still in control. He is the one, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and 11, the one who works out everything in conformity with the purpose Of his will. Like Peter that night. We might not be able to see. What Jesus is doing. We might not understand. His purpose. And his will. We might not even like. What is happening to us in that moment. It might feel as if. Jesus is distant. And our lives are just. Out of control. But we can rest. On this truth. Because we know that in all things, God works for for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Today, Jesus is in control. He is accomplishing his will. And his will is
1: always good and pleasing. And perfect. So folks, although our our
0: lives will include dark nights, when things look out of control, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to panic. We don't need to be in despair. Because even in the times of suffering, we can rest in the fact that Jesus has all the strength that we need. And because of his willing sacrifice of himself and obedient submission to his Father's will, we have been saved so we can rest in his sovereign control of the world, knowing that he is always
1: working for our good. Let's pray. Father God, I
0: really thank you this morning for this amazing truth that you've shown in your word again to us. Thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful reality that we can rest on, that we can cling to, that we can build our lives on today. You are in control in the good times, in the bad times. When we see what you're doing and we understand it and we rejoice in it and even when it looks as if everything is just in a mess and we don't understand what you're doing, Lord, we can still rest that you are in control, that you are sovereign over it all. Father, thank you for being able to see how even when these, these cruel and sinful and selfish men acted to arrest your son, the Lord Jesus, they were doing what you in your will and your good purpose had decided beforehand should happen. That Jesus was willingly laying down his life for us in submission to your will so that we could be saved, so that we could be rescued, so that we could be brought into this wonderful relationship with you that we enjoy, we're enjoying this morning. That we could be your children, safe and secure, in your hands, knowing that you have all the strength that we need to be safe and secure. And so, Lord, even when those things happen in our lives, even when we don't understand what is happening, Lord, help us, help us to rest on this truth. Help us to to push into this. Help us to hold on to it, Lord. Help us to hold on to the fact that you are sovereign and that you're always working for our good. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you. And we pray that you would help us to live for you and to trust you each day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.